Unity of Farmington Hills, a powerful path for spiritual living.
Good morning. All right, we're going to try this microphone up close so uh, people online can hear. Good morning, Unity of Farmington Hills, and welcome. I am Chuck Manastra, the platform assistant for today, and I'll be sharing the announcements and upcoming events with you. We are happy you are here with us today, either online or in person, and hope you will enjoy the service. For first-time visitors, please receive a welcome packet from the ushers as you leave the sanctuary. Please join us after service in the social hall. You'll enjoy special refreshments and tasty treats, as I can attest to from my <laughs> wife, provided by our wonderful and talented hospitality team. It's a great time to meet a new visitor, uh, personally fellowship, and build relationships with one another. Remember, our nursery is now open. Donna Opeka and Sharon Clace are waiting to greet and entertain your little ones. Preschool ages five years old and under while you relax and enjoy the service. We're doubling the stakes for our capital campaign and we'll provide an update next Sunday. Reverend Kelly will be teaching a prosperity class on Tuesdays beginning September 5th through October 24th from 6.30 p.m. to 8.45 p.m. <clears throat> In this eight-week class, study and practice prosperity principles from the viewpoint of Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore to cultivate perfect health and experience more love, wealth, peace, and a more fulfilling life. That sounds good. The required textbook for the class is Prosperity by Charles Fillmore, available at Amazon.com and Unity.org. To sign up for the class, email seniorminister at unityfh.com. Welcome back for summer break. Hard to believe, but we're almost there. Uh, the Veterans Peer Support Group will meet next Sunday, September 3rd at 12 p.m. and will resume regularly scheduled meetings on the first Sunday of each month. The following groups and activities will resume their first meeting on the following dates in September. The Women's Group, Sunday, September 10th at approximately 11.45. Critical Conversations, Monday, September 11th at 7 p.m. The Men's Group, Saturday, September 16th at 10 a.m. And UFA, UFH Ukulele Group, Sunday, September 17th at 11.30 a.m. So lots of stuff happening come September. Join us for our annual World Day of Prayer service on Wednesday, September 13th at 7 p.m., led by our prayer chaplains. Unity's theme this year is Heart of Healing. Let's all come together to radiate a collective heart of healing in reflection, meditation, and prayer for ourselves and the world. This special service will be in person and on YouTube. Bring the family on Saturday, September 16th from 11 to 2 p.m. for Adopt a Pet and Family Fun Day. Come prepared to enjoy a day of family fun and maybe adopt that pet that your kids have always wanted. <laughs> but if you do, that you will be taken care of. <laughs> From experience. Bring the fa uh, Eileen uh, Lindbergh is our prayer chaplain today and will be available to pray with you after service near the back patio doors. Please exit the sanctuary immediately after the service to allow for that quiet space. Please visit unityfh.com, check out our Facebook page, or read through the newsletter that's emailed every Friday to stay abreast of our activities and upcoming events. And now, as the music team sings Surely the Presence, let us prepare our hearts and minds for the daily word and our opening prayer.
Well, good morning, everyone. And good morning to those of you who are visiting. Welcome. Uh, For those of you who do not know me, I'm Reverend Kelly Kincaid, the senior minister here, and I'm grateful to be here to do uh, our service. And right now we're doing the daily word. So I invite you, if you'd like, to gently close your eyes to hear the message, our affirmation, and the scripture that follows. Sunday, August 27th, 2023, World Peace. Today we affirm, I join with others to build a peaceful world. And our message reads, the world's problems can, be, can feel so overwhelming and it needs so, so great that I may wonder how my individual efforts can make much of a difference. But every action I can take can contribute to world peace. I remember there are people throughout the world who feel the way I do. So many are doing what they can to bring light and love to their neighborhoods and communities. I feel comforted realizing I am not alone in my efforts. Peace begins with each person and inspires others as it spreads, uniting all the world's people to live and thrive in harmony and cooperation. We are meant to live in peace. I hold that vision and offer compassionate service as a way to make my dream for world peace a reality for all of us. Our scripture for today comes from Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. Let us pray. So if you haven't already, I invite you to gently close your eyes, take a deep breath, and just let your attention float down into the center of your chest. And in that area, focus on a feeling of peace, oneness, and love. Knowing that as you focus on those activities, those feelings within inside of you, you activate the expression of love, which is God inside of you. And it is always best to center in that space before we pray. That way, it is the Christ praying, not our human limited self. And so, God, as we acknowledge your power, your presence, your activity, your love, your oneness, and your presence within us, we thank you for everything you've done to allow us to get here safely. Our hearts welcome everyone in this space, everyone who is watching. We activate a sense of peace and cooperation right now. We open ourselves up in this moment to be a radiating expression of acceptance and a welcoming spirit of oneness. And as we feel that radiating within, we thank you for every single way you bless us as we bless others. And as a matter of fact, We thank you for the ways you bless us when we don't bless others. For you love us no matter what. We allow ourselves to open up to hear your message, to be activated by your message, 
to be the living expression of your message. And we sit just for a little bit, communing with you, so that you may open up our minds, open up our hearts, and ready our bodies. And so I invite you with every gentle breath you take to breathe in a feeling of love and exhale a feeling of love. And just continue to breathe in love and exhale love. Let your mind be at peace. Let your heart continue to radiate that feeling of love. And let your body relax in this moment, surrendering everything. And God, as we surrender our all to you, we thank you for perfecting every single thing, every single person, every single circumstance and situation that concerns us right now. We release that concern and we let you take over. Now that our bodies are relaxed, our minds are free and our hearts are open, we lift this prayer and close this meditation in the mighty name and nature of the indwelling Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And so it is. Amen. And now let us go ahead and affirm our statement of being. Together, God is all, both invisible and visible, one presence, one mind, one power is all. This one that is all is perfect life, perfect love, and perfect substance. I am an individualized expression of God. I am ever one with this perfect life, perfect love, and perfect substance. And now let us affirm our growth affirmation together and do it as if you know it's working. Together, we give thanks for our expansive congregation that fills our halls, sanctuary, and classrooms with seekers and teachers of unity truth, fills our hearts with love and joy, and provides us with all of the necessary resources to co-create a loving and compassionate spirit-filled world. You know, if you affirm it with a smile on your face, it feels a little better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> put work into it. We don't got to put work into it. <laughs>
feel free to sing along. another hand. Yeah. That's one of my most favorite, favorite, favorite songs of the Beatles. Is it the Beatles, right? Yes. Of the Beatles. I don't like Beatles too much, but I like those Beatles. <laughs> I really, really do. <clears throat> All righty. Well, there's a couple things I left my notes. So, we're just going to let God do what God do. I left them right on my desk. 
<clears throat> so, like I said, we'll let God do what God do. You know, last week I said a couple things incorrectly, and I had to let it go because I'm one of those perfectionist people who um, takes things. That's why I'm still looking for my notes, even though I know they're not here. <laughs> let it go, Kelly. Let it go. God will guide you. Let it go. Okay, I'm going to let it go. <laughs> but anyway, last week I mentioned when I was talking about John that his um, mother, I was saying that John and James's mother was uh, Jesus' stepmother, but that was incorrect. What I was trying to say is that there's a theory that John and James's mother was Jesus' sister. That's what I was trying to say. And so, and, and when they look, when you look at the, in the scriptures where Jesus is, uh, where it's this, Jesus is on the cross, and they're talking about the Marys that are standing at the foot of the cross, and you take, I think it's Mark and Matthew, and put them together, that's where they show that, because they, sh- they say John Mark's name, Salome, in one of them, and then they also say Mary's sister in the other. So the, the- theory is that they were sisters, which makes John and James cousins of Jesus, not Barnabas. I said Jesus was Barnabas's cousin last week. I incorrectly said that too. So the perfectionist in me, not wanting folks to get it wrong, I went onto YouTube and I put it in the comments. So now no one's going to say she didn't correct it. I did, and I feel better. <laughs> I don't like mistakes being out there. You know what I mean? So that brings me to, we talked about the the men who wrote the Gospels. And I appreciated that study because as we looked at their lives and we looked at who they were and we looked at how they started off before they wrote the Gospels and then who they turned into as they were writing the Gospels, when we got to that, ah, sister girl, thank you so much. I love my new business manager. Can we give Miss Faith a hand? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now I got my notes. See, when you let it go, got to let it happen. (laughs) Amen to that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So as I was saying, what I loved is how we watched the progression of the lives of those who who wrote the Gospels. And even the ones who were, because in Mark and in, well, Mark and Matthew weren't really written by the, by the actual persons who are attributed to have written the Gospels. They were written by the disciples, and probably uh, Luke and James as well. But one of the things that I loved is how it gave us a context on how the Gospels were written, is that each Gospel was written to by the specific people. So Matthew was a Jewish person who wrote the Gospel, the, and the Gospel of Matthew was written for those people who were of the Jewish tradition. Mark was Roman and Jewish. So his was written for those who had a Roman, who were converts from the Roman tradition. And Luke was Greek. His was written, actually he wrote his gospel to Theophilus, who was actually a court worker. He was either, a, it said the honorable, so he, either he was a judge or he was a lawyer. And, and Luke was written and Acts was written to give a testimony of Paul's life so that when he went into court, because he was, wait, he was um, on house arrest waiting for it to go on a trial for those two years, he wrote that to give a testament of, Mar- of who Paul was. So that when his trial came about, 
he would be exonerated and he was. And then we talked about John, who was the disciple of Jesus, and he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we talked about John's life and how when he first, had, even though he was considered the disciple of love, he did not start off as love. Jesus had the nickname for him and his brother, his older brother James, Sons of Thunder, which really, when you looked at it um, from a translation of the Greek translation and uh, Aramaic translation, it's rage. They were, they were easily angered and spoke first before they thought first. And then John moved into a consciousness of speaking, thinking first so that he can think from and act from a place of love, which we know because he and Jesus were really, really, really close, close friends. And not only were they close friends, Jesus cared about him enough and esteemed him and respected him so much that he gave the care of his mother into John's disciples' hands. And he cared, John, who was the disciple, cared for um, Jesus' mother Mary for the rest of her life. So one of the things I wanted to do was, because we talked about those who wrote the Gospels, I wanted to talk about Paul, who wrote, who's attributed to writing the rest of the New Testament. And Paul is really important because he had a transformation as well. And when we read in Acts, about Paul's life, it's interesting to see the shift in his life. Paul, whose who's first, he was named Saul, which is Shaul in, and I hope I'm saying it right, I don't want to rip up his name in, in um, Hebrew or Jewish tradition, but his name was Saul when he started off. He was named after one of his ancestors who was Saul the king in the Old Testament. But it's interesting because Saul the king started off doing what Jesus wanted him, what God wanted him to do, and then turned around getting jealous of David and turned into a murderer, trying to chase after David and kill David. Now, this Saul in the New Testament changes it around. It's so interesting to see that. So he grew up um, in a Jewish tradition, but he was a Roman citizen. He grew up in Tarsus. His father was a Pharisee who was also a tent uh, maker. And so they had a company. So that was what Paul did um, when he, he saw, I'll talk about his name change in a minute. That's what Saul did. He learned how to make tents under his father's um, profession. Then when he turned about 13 or 14, he ended, he ended up going to this predominant school where he learned to be a Pharisee too. That was what was passed on from tradition to tradition. So it was expected for him to be a Pharisee. His father was a Pharisee. His father's father was a Pharisee. And they were of the tribe of Benjamin. And so they passed it on from generation to generation. As a Pharisee, and learning in Jerusalem and studying, he's growing up around the same time that Jesus is doing his ministry. So he probably hears about Jesus, but he's so installed, he's so ingrained in learning and learning how to break apart the scriptures, and learning how to use the scriptures as an argument to either defend or to prosecute those who were going against what was in the Jewish tradition. So he was very, he was very well um, educated, very smart guy, and he was very young when he started his ministry. He was actually appointed by his mentor, his teacher, to be a part of the council of the high priest. And so it's around this time that Jesus is crucified on the cross, resurrects, 
and brings his 12 disciples together, tells them to go into the upper room. This is when we're starting to read in Acts, which is the second part of Luke's book. And at this point, the disciples are really fired up to go spread the word, the good news. And they, in what their church, quote unquote, was called was the way. Do you guys get that? It started off as the way. Now, Mr. Paul, whose name is Saul at the time, is not liking this. Because the way he's understanding this, what they're teaching is going against the Hebrew, the Jewish, rather, tradition. So he's not liking this very well. One of the things that he did not like was that Jesus, who was crucified on a cross made of wood, was the Messiah, went against what the tradition was that if you died on a cross, you were cursed. I mean, on, a, on, a, on wood, any tree, you were cursed. So that really worked him. And it was really working him that all of these disciples were really spreading this word, this new way, this new religion, quote unquote, which really it wasn't. It was just a higher expression of the Christ in the Jewish tradition. Do you guys get that? Because Jesus was Jewish and he taught Judaism. He just taught it from a consciousness of coming from the, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Not the kingdom of heaven is without you. In the Old Testament, they taught, the taught teaching was that you live according to the Ten Commandments, you live according to the laws of Moses, you live according to the laws of the prophets so that you are not punished. In the New Testament, Jesus is teaching that we live according to the law according, through our relationship with God so that we are blessed. There's a difference there. Can you see a shift from the Old Testament the old way of thinking, the immature way where it is obedience into a new way of thinking, a spiritual maturity, which there is a love and a relationship. Can you see that? Obeying God versus having a relationship with God. Now, let's look at this on a level of parents, for real, because it's a connection. When we, teach, when we have children and when we grew up, we grew up not doing this, not doing that, stop, 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 because we couldn't understand what it meant that if you touch something, you get burned. You're two years old, and you can't sit there, okay, now if you touch that, your hand's going to burn, and it's going to hurt. They don't get that at that age, right? So you give them consequences, punishment, because they touched it. Now, when they get older, you give a description, you, and they can understand it, and that's when your relationship builds with, that, with your child. Do you see that? When we grow up, we follow what our parents teach us. Paul followed what he was taught. You follow what those who are prominent in your life, the teachers and those, teach you. Paul followed that as well. And you take it as gospel. Paul did that as well. But there comes a time. In everybody's life, and Jesus says it in the Gospels, where you got to start making your own choices. You can't say, I didn't do it because so-and-so did it. Jesus will say, I don't know you because you did not live through your relationship with God. He said, let go of the connections to the outer world, your attachments to the outer world, and connect to the inner world. Now, Paul was going according to the outer world, what he was taught from the outer world. He was following, and he had a sincere heart to be a Pharisee. Pharisees followed everything to the letter of the law. 
And some of them took advantage, but Paul was so in love with what he studied and understood, and he got it deeply that he really wanted to make sure that he was um, going according to what God wanted him to do. So now he's sitting here seeing this disciple named Stephen, who took Judas's place, by the way, because you know Judas killed himself when he betrayed Jesus and realized that it meant Jesus was going to be killed. Do you know this piece, right? So Steve, Stephen was um, voted in to take Judas's place so that there would be 12 disciples again. Stephen was very inspired. And it's interesting because you don't have to know Jesus to be inspired by Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. I promise you that. There's something that when you're so open and you're so sincere, that word, sincere, and I can't remember the Jewish word that it comes from, but I'll still give you, I'm just hearing God. Back in the, in the old, uh, New Test, uh, first century Judaism, they used to have marble, they would sell marble, and marble was really uh, expensive. But sometimes it had cracks in it. And so what, what uh, retailers would do, for lack of a word that would use, been, they'd put wax over it and fill it in and make it look nice and smooth. And then they'd take a, a tool and smooth it out. And then they'd sell it for the price of those, that, those marble pieces that were impeccable. But then, of course, you know, when you get out into the sun and the wax melted away, you see the imperfections in that marble. Well, there were some retailers who used a word, and I can't remember what that word means, that means that it is the real deal. And we get the word sincere from that. Sincere is coming truly from your heart and your mind. Truly from the truth of wanting to know a genuine expression and to share a genuine expression of yourself. And that's what we saw in all four of the gospel writers, that they were that way. Paul was that way too. And he was per per persecuting the people who were following the good way, the new way, I mean the way, because he truly believed in his heart that they were wrong. He truly believed that what he, what he was taught was right. He was a religious terrorist for a reason. And a lot of people in this world that are that way too. They kill and persecute and murder in the name of God. And that's what Paul was doing, if you just be real about it. That's what he was doing. He went to the council, which he was a part of. He convinced them to give him a letter to go to Damascus, which was one of the other towns where he had seen where the other disciples dispersed after Stephen was murdered. And this is the kicker. When Stephen was going around bringing people into converting into the, new, the way, Paul hated it so much that when they got, him, when they got Stephen in a place where he um, was on trial and then he, he convinced. And, you know, back in the day, they didn't say, Your Honor, I did this, Your Honor, I did that. They went according. They recited everything about what the message was. And so that's what Stephen does. He recited Jesus' message, Jesus' life, Jesus' teachings, and some of the things that he said, the resurrection piece, they hated hearing that. So, and Paul hated hearing that. So Paul was the first one who picked up a stone and hit him. And then the rest of them. These are the high council priests. Throwing stones and killing him. That's where they put the, their coats at his feet. 
He was the one that threw the the first stone. So he's watching. They're honoring. He's watching it, and he's getting fueled by that. You ever see people see violence and get revved up by it? Like it just revs them up. They want to be a part of it. You ever heard of the mob mentality? You ever seen people who are in high places doing that, revving people up by violence? I mean, just be real. In the last eight years or so, we've seen that. We had an insurrection because of that. I'm just being honest. Revving up the crowd. So he revved up the crowd so much that when they went back to discuss it, he was able to get a letter to go get people He would go into people's homes, yank them out of their homes, put them in chains and take them to jail just for sharing Jesus' message. It was a message of love. It was a message of love. It is happening still today. Think about that. This is a guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Why would that happen? That he'd be able to write going after people, persecuting them. And it's interesting because everybody has something that they've done. It may not have been murder, but everybody has something that they've done that they really do not like remembering in their lives. That wasn't the best part of them. Saul right now is not the best part of him at this time. So on his road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he gets a rude awakening. I'm going to read chapter 9. I'm going to read verse. This is Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read verse 3 through 5, I think. And I want you guys to just imagine this. He's on a road with a with some troops behind him, some people to help him, to back him up. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it wasn't just something that lit him and he fell to the ground. That light was so intense, it blinded him and made him fall to the ground. It shook him and made him fall to the ground. And then this voice is coming out. And the other people around him heard this voice too. But just imagine a light so bright, an energy so bright, it knocks you, blinds you out, and knocks you to the ground. Verse 5, who are you, Lord, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, he's blind. Get up and go to the city. What? But that shifted him so deeply that from that moment on, he obeyed that voice. That was his conversion. You think about your life. When in your life did you see, did you, do you know you were going down, I won't say, I'll say the wrong road, meaning the wrong approach for what you truly want in your life? And think about what got your attention. And think about where you are now. Are you in a path 
where you truly want to be for the rest of your life. And it's interesting because he's a young man. The younger, the better, because then the rest of your life is building up and building up into that vibration of that new expression that is your passion. I truly wish I had followed and believed Jesus and believed God when I was told inside of myself that I was meant to be a minister years ago in my 20s. It would have shaved off much more years. I was in my 50s, 50 when I became a minister or went into the the, the trade, and, and, and now it's been, I'm 55 years old. I've been doing this now for about five, six years. But just imagine had I decided to do this 25 years ago when I first thought about it. How many years I would have shaved off of doing these things that hurt me more than they hurt anybody else. I promise you Saul going after people and murdering, murdering them hurt him too. Because that energy you hold inside of yourself, your will, you're being willful. Saul means to be willful. It means to use your will for personal gain. For, and your zeal, you have this zeal in your choice. You know your will is your freedom of choice for personal gain. But it unlovingly impacts everyone else. Do you ever did anything for your gain, but it really hurt somebody else? Like I'm asking, let's put ourselves in his place. And did you ever realize it and decide to change your life? Like for real? Nobody? Do you remember that moment when it happened to you? And even how long ago it was? when you changed, like for real. Paul says, if I remember correctly, and I'll correct you next week if I'm saying it wrong, March 12th was the day that that was happening. And so he took that day as his day of sitting in remembrance, in sense of humbleness, praise, and gratitude to God. When I married God, committed myself to God on June 14th, 2003. That was my day that I committed my life to be an expression that I will never let another man come before God again in my life. And I gave that. This is how deep I was about that commitment. We have free will. We can choose ourselves, right? I said, God, I give you permission to take that person out of my place. Not remind me, oh, you're putting somebody in front of God. No, you take that person out of my way. I gave my free will to God. Not my will, but thy will be done. And I said, even if that person is me. And then I realized, as I told you, it always is me because I'm the one making the choices. <laughs> now, that was a deep aha. I couldn't blame anybody else. It was always me. That person made me mad. That's why I did. No, uh you chose to be mad. That person made me upset. I'm going to hold on to this anger because if I forgive them, then it means I condone them. No, it doesn't. It means you just forgive them and let it go. And God will do what God has to do in that person's life. Because holding on to that, uh, that unforgiveness hurts you. You're the one holding the energy. Now they're going on with their lives, doing their thing. It's like taking, drinking poison and expecting them to get hurt. This was Paul's conversion. 
Charles Fillmore says conver conversion is more than changing your life to a certain religion uh, well, or changing in, uh, into a certain religion. It's changing every part of your spiritual awareness. Every part of your life becomes an expression of that new thing that you converted into now. Jesus uh, shifted Paul so deeply that he said in Acts 20, verse 22, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish, for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And everywhere you read in his writing, you will see something about the grace of God. He was given what his assignment was. His assignment was to be the apostle of, of the Gentiles, which was to turn it over to the Gentiles, to open up the, the um, consciousness of God to the Gentiles as well. It's interesting because when you read in the Gospels, Jesus is alluding to this. He tells them, y'all not listening to me. So we're going to open a door. The, the, um, let me go to Matthew chapter 8. It's interesting when you look at this because everything, you get an awareness of it ahead of time. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Now what happens is there's this man who is a Roman officer who says, Lord, I want you to come heal my servant, my servant. But then he sends another messenger that says, you don't even have to come. All you have to say is he is healed and I believe he'll be healed. Not only that, I know this because if I tell my fault, my officers under me to do something, they do it. So I know if you say he's healed, he's healed. Now this is a Gentile because it's a Roman soldier. And Jesus says, I tell you this, the, the truth. I haven't seen faith in all of Israel. That's his Jewish community. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham. Now, Abraham in the Old Testament is called the father of many nations. It did not say only the father of Jews. It's the father of many nations. So even in the Old Testament, the Son of God in you, that, that spark of divinity in you, it, it exists in every one of us. Do you get that? So for the rest of uh, Paul's life, he spoke about the grace of God. He experienced the grace of God. He knew that he'd go through trials and tribulations to give the message about the grace of God. What is it in your life that you will go through anything Trials, tribulations, persecution, to stand up and be an example of a message of God. Like for real, for real. Mine, I know, is to teach about the first two greatest commandments that Jesus talks about. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. To have that relationship with God. And I, to my last breath, 
will not only focus on my relationship with God, but I, to my last breath, will be preaching that, teaching that, and talking about that to everybody. You'll say something to me, I'll say, what did you, you ask me a question, I'll say, what did God say? Some of you already know that. I'll say, well, did you talk to God? Did you sit with God? Did you pray about it? What did God say? Did God tell you what to do? Do you understand? Well, then sit there and listen to God. Have you heard what God said? Did you ask God first? I mean, every single time you ask me, that will be something that's on my mind. Y'all going to get tired of me saying it, but it's what I'm here to say. <laughs> my, my kids, well, mama, this is, did you ask God first? Mama, I'm asking you, but I can't give you the answer because I didn't create you, baby. Only the one that created you can give you that answer. So I will always guide you to your relationship with God. Even our children are not our own. They were given to us to give them the pieces that they need to go forward and see God and be an expression of God and love and have that relationship with God for the rest of their lives. That's why it says raise them up. Y'all don't know the rest of that. Some of you do, right? Raise them up in the ways of God and they will never depart from it. Because what you do is you spark it in the heart. Paul came to be the apostle for the Gentiles, which means to share the message that God is here for everyone, not just a chosen people. And that the true chosen people are the people who choose to be God, the people who choose to have a relationship with God. I'm asking y'all a question. And, and, and let's look at these diverse, welcoming, loving. What else do we got here? I forgot my question. <laughs> For a moment. Ah, I forgot my question. Uh, what did I just say? Ah. I'm going to have to let it go. Ah, I for it was a good question, too. <laughs> now, what is your purpose? Holy moly. What was I just saying before that? I wish I could rewind this tape. Rewind the tape and come back to it. We ask God. I said that. Oh, man. Well, let me just go to what I was trying to say. <laughs> man, that was, a, that was some sweet business. I set it up, and then I forgot what I was setting up. Mm. Anyway. Huh. I'm stumped now. Yes, I always say go to God to people. And I said that I am, oh, I get it, what I was going to say. I said that the chosen people are those who choose to be in a relationship with God. And I said, I choose to do so. And then I said that what I was starting to say is those of you who were left after the church split, it seems like you chose to do so before because I'm looking at these values that were created after the church. But these were created after the church split, right? This is what you guys decided to, right? You decided to be, let's say these together. You decided to be diverse, welcoming, loving, spirit-filled, and empowering. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did y'all choose these? Did you choose them because you were committed to those, those values? Did you choose your mission and your, your vision statement to reflect these values? Yes. 
Did you choose it because you had a community in mind that you want to, to be an expression of these values and, and, and the vision and mission statement? Do you choose to continue to be that now? Y'all don't sound convinced. They don't know me very well. I, you even said it in a low voice too, Miss. She's over there laughing. Okay, I'll ask you again. I forgot what I was going to ask. Do you guys choose to continue to be the epitome of these values? Yes. Now, let me tell you why I say to be that way. Paul would have said, he might not have said H-E-double-hockey sticks, yes. But he would have said yes with a roaring because that passion inside of you is what gets it going for you to be the expression of it. If you say rinky-dink and, and, you, and you're thinking it in full force, the same rinky-dink, the feeling from the rinky-dink takes precedent. you got to let what you say and what you feel be in alignment if you're going to really be it, if you're going to really demonstrate it. Now, we have been growing this church, and we've been drawing people who are of that value, but if you are lukewarm or straddling the fence, we are going to grow this church in the fullness that we truly want it to be. Amen. So I'm asking you, now Paul was in the passion of persecuting and he shifted to be in the passion of bringing those in who he was persecuting. He ended up being one of the biggest apostles of Jesus and he never met Jesus physically. He met Jesus through the spirit. I'm asking us all, and it means you got to do a little work. And it ain't a lot of work. It's just open up the Bible and do a little reading. So you can learn about Jesus. You can't just take what I tell you and go by that. Paul was taking what the disciples told him, and he was incorrect with it. He was wrong. You got to read it for yourself and get your own, into, your own intuition about it and let the Holy Spirit move you. And that's what Paul did for the rest of his life is let the Holy Spirit move him even to a martyr death where he was decapitated. That's big to think about. Are you willing to take your passion to take what you know and go deeper into what you know to be so full of an expression of God, of an expression of Jesus, an expression of that way, that you're willing to die for it. And I don't want you to think and answer it now because y'all may not say it roaringly. But I want you to really sit with that. Because I promise you, I do. I'm going to leave you with this story. You ever heard of the... the um, song Amazing Grace. Now, Apostle, the, um, Paul was called the Apostle of Grace because not only did he experience the grace of God, that shift in his consciousness, and the grace of God is the favor and blessings of God that come to you whether we deserve it or not. And I promise you, we will never get to a point where we deserve the sacred holiness and favor of God. Never. The only one who did was Jesus. But we can get as close to that grace and that favor of earning it and being worthy of it as we possibly can. Your human side will always take over somehow. And it's not a bad thing. It just is what it is thing. Well, the, the, the 
song Amazing Grace was written by this guy, John Newton. John Newton was following after his father's footsteps by going out to Africa, hunting down, capturing, and selling slaves. That's what his father did. And he took over his father's business, started doing the same thing himself. And at one point that he was doing this, there was a really bad storm. And several of the slaves that died and several of the workers who were there with him died too. And as he's sitting there holding the whatever that's, what's that called? The steer, they call it a steering wheel on a boat too? The helm. Thank you. I knew Peter would know. He's a fisherman. So holding on to the helm. And he's sitting there praying, God, help us. And for 11 more hours, he's sitting there holding it straight. And no one else dies. And it shifted him. Some say it shifted him immediately. Others say it didn't. He kept on doing uh, the, the job for a little bit longer until it really hit him deeply. That was his conversion. That was his light hitting him. That was his road to the Damascus experience. And afterwards... He started to train. He started to read Hebrew. He started to learn and study God. And 10 years later, he became a minister. And one of the times that he was up, speak, oh, is here. One of the times that he was preparing for his sermon, these words came to him. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And then the rest of the song came to him which you guys I'm sure know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now it's interesting because this song didn't kick, take off where he was. And I forgot where he was. It wasn't England. I forgot where he was. But it didn't take off where he was. It took off in the United States though. Now let's listen to this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, and now I see. Now, listen to this piece. When Paul was hit by that light, it blinded him. When he was healed by Ananias, scales fell from his eyes. And he could see better than ever before from another perspective. Same thing with John Newton. He thought being a trader of slaves was what he was meant to do. And as he was sitting there and literally experienced near-death experience, it opened his eyes. He realized he was blind when he was going after money in that way and could see in a different way. I wanted you guys to hear this because there's times in our life where we think we are right. And literally, we're blind and we're wrong. We literally are. And it's not until God touches our eyes, touches us somehow, that the scales fall from our eyes, which is the misinterpretation. And then we see a certain way, and you cannot unsee it ever again. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I believed. The, I mean, the, yeah, the hour I first believed. Do you remember when you really went into that first expression of God? 
Okay, so I said that in 2002, I mean, yeah, 2002, 20 years ago, when I prayed and I had that epitome of, have, of, of living with God, but it wasn't until 2007 that I was sitting, I had, I had gone into the bathroom to wash my hands, and I looked up in the mirror. And I realized that I had been holding on to so much guilt that I didn't see I was worthy of God taking me out of the way. I made the commitment, and that was the first time I believed. But there'll be time and time and time and time that you keep working at it until you truly be the expression of it. People told me I was pretty, you're beautiful. I didn't see it. To tell you the truth, I still don't see it to the point where people say, really. And I looked in the mirror, and I saw something. And I said, you are pretty. You are so pretty. I had never said that or believed it about myself ever. Because I thought that the things that I did wrong made me ugly. Can you imagine how Paul must have felt? how John Newton must have felt when they realized that what they thought they were doing was right really wasn't. And then they saw themselves through God's eyes that God loved them anyway and then began to change. Through dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace have brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me his words, my hope secures. He will, he, will, he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and hearts shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. When we've been fair, 10,000 times, uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And he ain't talking about when you took your first breath in this world. He's talking about when you took your first breath in your relationship with God. I'm asking you all, I'm challenging you all to set yourself into what is your way of expressing God? What is your way? Everybody has your own unique way. I told you mine. And now the other part of it that I've noticed is to help people see God in themselves because that's where the beauty lies. The old face will change. You'll get wrinkled. Hopefully I won't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'll get wrinkled. You'll look older. But the life of God will always be that inner beauty. Live our lives now the way Paul did, that you see that inner beauty and you never let it go. Do you guys get that? And I know I've gone a little bit longer, but this is deep to me. Paul was the apostle of grace and the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his purpose and he lived it deeply. My purpose is to share the, those two greatest commandments. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if you don't, you will never, ever, ever be able to love yourself, 
deeply like God loves you, let alone love your neighbor the way you do yourself. I am a holy expression of God. Together, I am a holy expression of God. I was once lost and now I'm found. Together, I was once lost and now am found. Was blind and now I see. Together, was blind and now I see. God, thank you for my sight. God, thank you for my purpose. And I am committed to holding that purpose. Thank you and help me all the rest of my life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so much.
back with a bang <laughs> and Laurel came, Lauren came back with a bang I missed you guys when you were gone I missed when you aren't here and when y'all aren't here I miss you <clears throat> oh my goodness oh my goodness so let's just uh, deeply close your eyes take a deep breath bring to mind what you feel led to give for your love offering for today <sighs> thank you God thank you God and let's go ahead and uh, affirm our love offering blessing together divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I am, all that I have, all that I give, and all that I receive. Thank you, God. Amen. And this is birthday Sunday. So any of you who had birthdays in August, please stand so we can sing happy birthday to you. <laughs> A lot of birthdays. And, um, and I want to say right now, if you had any anniversaries, happy anniversary. I'll get a song we can sing happy anniversary, but right now we'll sing happy birthday. But if you had an anniversary in August, I want to say happy anniversary too. So let's go ahead and sing happy birthday. One, two, three. Got it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Y'all can keep standing because we're about to do our prayer for protection. Everybody stand so we can do our prayer for protection. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love y'all. And those of y'all, we have a lot of Virgos in our, our uh, church, which I love, I love, I love because y'all keep me in line, especially my husband because he's one too. All righty, so let's go ahead and do our prayer for protection, and then we're going to do the peace song, and then we're going to head out real quick. Uh, we're way behind because of me. Um, all righty, together, the light of God surrounds us, the love of God enfolds us, the power of God protects us, the presence of God watches over us. Wherever we are, God is, and all is well. Dun, dun, dun.
Thank you for listening to this Unity of Farmington Hills podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and uplifted you. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings, but would still like to support our spiritual community, visit our giving page, unityfh.com donate.